Amen. You can grab a seat. And our children, you can slide out to the back with our Redemption Kids uh, volunteers. Hey, and if you're new with us and you've got a child and you haven't checked them in yet, if you'll just follow our volunteers I'm wearing the orange Redemption Kids aprons. They'll show you where to get connected up and how to get your child uh, set up and squared away for Redemption Kids today. For the rest of us, let's let's grab a copy of God's Word or or turn it on, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2, if if you've got one of the Bibles that we provide, that's page 857. Well, uh, man, some of you guys know this already. Originally, our lead pastor, Tanner, uh, was going to be, had the privilege of giving the word to us today, and, um, but he's been battling, as you guys know, over the past month or so, uh, an issue with his appendix, and, and he had a, that flare up on him this past Thursday, and so uh, near the end of our week, we kind of regrouped, and so we're going to hit pause on our First John series and pick that up, and, and I've got the privilege today to share with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture related to the Christmas and Advent season in Scripture in Luke chapter 2. So let, let's continue to pray for Pastor Tanner. He's with us today, um, but he's taking it easy and, and that, that he would continue to heal up and get well and for God's favor and grace on him and his family. Well, as we think about Luke chapter 2 and even this Advent season, uh, one of the reasons that this passage is one of my favorites is because of the issue of anticipation. I love anticipation. And and that may be why I love the Christmas season. I mean, it's usually this time of year that we anticipate our first snow of the year. Come on. Hey, hey, that, that just happened, you know, about right around average. It's also a time where maybe you're anticipating um, some, some gatherings with friends. Maybe it's a work party that you're anticipating and spending some time celebrating. Uh, maybe it's anticipating a visit with family. Like for us, usually this is one of the times a year. Um, I'm from North Carolina, and so we usually travel back south. And so as we talk about this with our, with our kids, there's an anticipation. When are, is it time yet? When are we going to go see our grandparents, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles? Um, you know, as a kid, it was anticipation around gifts. In particular, I remember one... Um, Many of you guys know this. I played a lot of sports growing up, particularly football. And so, you know, I'm probably this middle school kid who's like, I, my wish was for a weightlifting bench. Any, anybody there with me? Any, anybody? No, okay, I'm by myself. I can't, I can't see the hands out there. Okay, I see Will Pope. There you go. Hey, me and you, man. Me and you. Hey, and that was my biggest wish. And so Christmas came and, and there it was. And so, you know, you know, I'm, I'm laying down, I'm, I'm doing the bench press, you can do leg press, and I, I do the leg press, and it pops back down, and it breaks. A piece of plastic pops off and flies up in the air. Like, I still remember that to this day, like, this anticipation that led me to quickly disappointment. But as I've matured and grown up, I, as I think about Christmas I love, I love giving. I love giving gifts. And so part of the anticipation for me is those that I love. Like, how could, how could I display generosity? And so you, you think of this perfect gift. You go and get it or make it or whatever it is. You wrap it. It sits under the tree. And then the anticipation, you long to see what is their, their response when they open that up. Let me just... Let me just ask you, what, 
What are you anticipating right now? What is it that your mind just continues to just turn towards, that, that it lingers on, that, that you can't quite shake? You see, what we see in our passage today, it's really, it, it, there are two encounters with Jesus from two people, Simeon and Anna, that I would just use this word anticipation. There, there was an anticipation to meet Jesus and what he would do for their lives. Here's the deal. Oftentimes, our anticipation results in disappointment. But that's not the case with Jesus. Amen? And so here's what I want us to do today. As we, as we look at, at Luke 2, my prayer is that God would increasingly build in us an anticipation for Jesus and that it would satisfy us in all of our longings. Let's look here at Luke 2. Now, we're going to look at verses 22 to 38, but just kind of leading up to that in the Gospel of Luke, um, the births of John the Baptist and B Jesus have both been foretold. And then in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is actually born. You see in the first few verses there, and then, and then the shepherds come and they visit Jesus, and we see their response in Luke 2, 20. It says, and the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. And then in verse 21, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We pick up now in verse 22. In verse 22, just continuing the story, it says this, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law, in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man, so, so that's where Mary Joseph, it's leading them to the temple in Jerusalem. Let's hit pause now. Now to enter this encounter, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, and a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts, the thoughts, for many hearts may be revealed. Then we have a second encounter, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, 
the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to whom all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, as we see Simeon and Anna anticipate and then embrace Jesus, it's a call for us to do the same. And so here's the the main point today that I'm going to unpack is this, that we should embrace Jesus as God's gift of redemption for all people. Embrace Jesus as God's gift of redemption for all people. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unpack this with three truths about Jesus that we've got to understand if we are going to embrace him with our lives. And the first one is this, is that Jesus is God's gift of redemption first for Israel. Let me go back here to the very beginning. Go back in verse 22, just setting the stage here with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus and how they got to the temple. It says, the reason they were headed to the temple first was for their purification. And we don't have time, but if you were to go back and read Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, the law actually spells out when you give birth, what is it? How how do you pursue purity? And and this is what it would have said. She would have been, Mary would have been considered unclean up until 40 days after the birth of Jesus. She would have been prohibited from coming to the temple. The temple was the place of that represented the dwelling place of God, the holy of holies, entering into the presence of God. As we know, no sin can enter into God's presence. And so she would have been been kept away from the temple. But after those 40 days, this is what the word of God says that she should do. It says she was to come to the temple and sacrifice to the Lord. If you were to go back to Leviticus 12, it would have said this. Here's the sacrifice. She should have brought one lamb for a burnt offering, and one pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. But here's what Leviticus 12 does. Leviticus 12 makes provision for the person who says, you know what? I don't have the money to bring a lamb. And so here's what it says. Leviticus says this. Hey, look, if you couldn't provide a lamb, then you could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons instead. So look at our text here. What happens? It says in verse 22, they came to the temple, they brought him up, in verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice to the Lord of what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Was there a lamb? No. Why? Well, there's all kind of foreshadowing going on here, right? I mean, there was a lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what's happening here is that Jesus is not being identified with the rich. He's actually being identified with the poor. In fact, if we were to jump ahead, just flip ahead to Luke 4. Luke 4, in the the opening of his ministry, after his temptation, Jesus says this, 
It's actually the scroll of Isaiah is opened up. He, he, he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. To who? To the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is being identified with the poor, namely those he came to save. He, didn't st- he stepped into this world as a king, but as a servant. He humbled himself, even in how he came to this world, and then he ultimately is going to humble himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. So there's all kind of irony, even the fact that the ultimate sacrifice that Mary's bringing to purify her is in fact her son. Those Old Testament sacrifices, Leviticus 12, and, and many more, they were, they were forward-looking to the time where God would do away with our sin and provide provision so that we could enter into his presence. We don't go back and fulfill or obey Leviticus 12 because we looked at Jesus who obeyed it, and he is our Savior. Man, God is a good gift giver. So they came for their purification. The second reason they came, for presentation and dedication of the firstborn. You see there in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. If you were to go back to Exodus 13 and look in verses 2, verses 12, and verses 15, you would see that the firstborn was to be offered to the Lord. And so what do we have here? The point of this whole section in setting the stage is to show us that we have Mary and Joseph who were pious, law-abiding Jews. And it set the stage for these two encounters that were about to happen. So now let's go to encounter number one, Simeon. Verse 25. Man, this is getting good. Guys, I, I, man, I love this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. What does it tell us about him? Does it tell us his age? Doesn't tell us his age. Does it tell us his occupation? It doesn't. It simply says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a man, he was an exemplary saint who longed for the consolation of that Israel. That word consolation, another way, you may have a translation that says the restoration of Israel. The, the Greek behind it is the word comfort. And so if you were to just look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and where this word is used, you see it all through Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah being, man, a great prophet, one of the, the major prophets in the Old Testament, one of the turning points in the book Isaiah is Isaiah 40. You find this word in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Actually, I want to show you, though, later on in Isaiah 51. I think I've got it on the screen up here. In Isaiah 51, this is what it says. For the Lord comforts, it's that word comfort, the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. What do you know about Israel and Isaiah? 
Israel was pursuing idolatry and was being exiled because of their disobedience to God. And what we see here is, is Isaiah, major prophet, proclaiming that judgment's going to come, yet looking forward to the time, the consolation. God had promised all through the Old Testament that he will save his people. What is this promise? What do you hear here? He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like what? Eden. Look, if you're new here to exploring Jesus or Christianity, here's, here's the big story in a nutshell. You've got God's design. He puts us in the garden. It is in his presence. The people of God in the place of God with the presence of God has the blessing of God. We disobey God and we're kicked out of the garden. And the rest of history, the rest of the Bible is God bringing consolation, restoration, redemption to get us to the garden. What this is saying, it's a proclamation that the Lord is going to bring comfort and get us back to the garden. What happens in Isaiah 52 and 53? It's in Isaiah 52 and 53. We don't have time today. You guys can thank me for this. But it's, it's God. It's Isaiah prophesying of a suffering servant who was going to come and lay down his life. And that's how we get in the garden. The suffering servant is what takes care of our uncleanness and makes us pure so that we can enter into the presence of God. Simeon got this. Oftentimes we read the Gospels and we just assume that all the Jews missed it. Like that they were all Pharisees and hypocritical and righteous. But in fact, Simeon is an example of somebody who read his Old Testament and knew that God had promised and would provide a Savior. There was anticipation. Can you imagine? I want you to think about this for a second. Before this happened right here, In your Old Testament, the last book of, in our English Bibles is Malachi. Between Malachi and Luke, how much time are we talking about? Roughly 400 years. So in terms of Scripture, God was silent. Put yourself in Simeon's shoes. We don't have any Scriptures in that season. There was no fresh revelation or scriptures for Simeon. He's reading the Old Testament and he's waiting. He's waiting with belief and anticipation. He really believed that God would do what he said he would do. Additionally, it says this, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Man, if there could be anything said of me, or our lives, would it be that just the Spirit of God would rest? Was God silent? There may have been no new revelation in terms of scriptures, but God was not silent. What does this say? The Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. God was speaking. He was speaking. He spoke to Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The spirit the, the, of the triune God. 
that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. You see, here's the cool part of this story. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were led to the temple in obedience to the commands of the Old Testament. Simeon was led to the temple driven by the Spirit of God. This encounter was no accident. The sovereign God was at work. And what we see here is we see God-ordained encounter. And it's for us. It's for our good. God was orchestrating their past. So what does Simeon do? As he came into the Spirit, and, and one of the keys about the Gospel of Luke is you see the Spirit. Like if you just go read through Luke, you just see the Spirit. Like the Spirit's at work. It is driving. It is leading. Luke part two is Acts. Go read Acts in the birth of the church, and you see the Spirit is leading. It's driving. So he's at the temple led by the Spirit. And as the parents brought in the child Jesus, it says in verse 28, he took him up in his arms, and bless God. Imagine this, Simeon. Anticipation, and now consummation. This longing for for this consolation, for the restoration, to see this one, the Spirit leading and saying, Simeon, that's the one. I've told you, you are going to see it. This is the one who is going to restore Israel. He takes Jesus and he lifts him up and he says, Lord, he, he pray. What, what happens here? He just erupts into song, into praise to God. That, that's what, when it says here that he took him in his arms and he blessed God, he's erupting in prophetic praise. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, God, I can die. Your purpose for me right now has been complete and fulfilled. If you take my life right now, I am at peace because your spirit has led me and it's been brought to completion. God, you do your will in my life. You're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Guys, let me just pause here for a second. God never lies. And he is always faithful to his word. Do you believe that? Simeon did. I mean, he really believed. Let me just ask you, what is it in God's word right now that you're really wrestling with to believe? Because really, I mean, at the heart of following Jesus is a lifestyle that says, God, this is what your word says, and I really believe it, and I'm going to go do it. It's faith. Faith is what leads us to salvation, and it's what drives every, every step along the way that we take with Jesus. It's a faith in the word of God. He never lies. You can trust him with your whole life. God, would you give us faith in your word as Simeon did today? And then he says this in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon is like a representative for all of Israel. 
I've seen your salvation. You've prepared in the presence of all the people as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Jesus, he's saying, is the promised one. This whole Old Testament, everything that had been pointing towards, Jesus is that fulfillment. Now, I'm going to come back to verses 32 and 35 in a few minutes. So I'm going to skip over them for right now. Just trust me, I'm not going to ignore them. We're going to come back to those in a second. I want to jump ahead to the second encounter. Because our point that we're focusing on right now is this. He's the redemption for Israel. When we turn to Anna, going down to verse 36, we see the second character. She was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. It says that she had been married for seven years and then widowed for the rest of her life. And, and there's some discrepancy in the text. You may even have a footnote there um, that points you down to the bottom. And, and here are the options. Either she was widowed for 84 additional years or until the age of 84. No matter where you land on either of those, the point is clear. She chose a lifetime of service to God over remarriage. She could have remarried, but she chose a lifetime of service to God. And this was an action that was highly regarded in the first century religious community. And go look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 on that. What, what did her daily activity, what was it described as? She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. If God works anticipation in our life, what do you think that's going to look like? If you were, if you were to go from a level one and to notch it up a level in your anticipation for God's work in you and through you, I guarantee you it's going to lead you to fasting and prayer. Amen? And this is what we've been, we've been focused on as a church this fall. God, let's not just be a church that talks about prayer. Let's not be a church that just preaches about Anna. But God, would you increasingly work in us? Hey, I'm going to put aside, I'm going to fast from some things because I'm anticipating that God is going to work in a great way. I'm going to pray. Night and day. As I can't stand, like, this is, this is convicting to me. Like, I, this is, I won't, I'm not standing here uh, even as I challenge us as a church. I mean, I've got to hear this. And how does it push me to anticipate God and to pray that God would work in and through me? And coming up at that very hour, it says this. She addresses two different audiences. The first one, she began to give thanks to God. She erupted in praise, similar to Simeon. She is praising God for bringing what here, it says, the redemption of Jerusalem. So you've got consolation of Israel, redemption of Jerusalem. The, the bigger pictures, they're looking at the Old Testament and they're reading and saying, God is going to redeem us. He is going to save us. He is gonna, he's going to provide somebody. That's what she was longing for. And then she, she addresses a second audience. She says, and, and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It, she wasn't there alone. I mean, there were others that, that had got this, that were waiting 
for redemption. How did they get that? I mean, if, go, write this down. Go look at Luke twenty-two forty-four and 47. After the resurrection, Jesus pulls his disciples alongside. And he says, and he took them, and it says, and he, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And it says it goes through Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. In other words, he, he walks them through the Old Testament, and he's saying, this is about me. There were others there that got that, that were longing for that redemption. What's the point? Let me wrap up this first point because i got to move on. It's this. Is there any question that Simeon and Anna were righteous followers of God? There's no question. I mean, they're prophets. But you know what? Even as righteous as they were, they still needed a Savior. It wasn't like, hey, I'm righteous and I'm devout and I'm good. I can't wait to meet God one day. It's I'm righteous and devout, but I, I need a Savior. And none of us are beyond that. Like, this is the gospel. The gospel isn't that, that John Chasteen is good enough to stand before God and hopefully outweigh the scales to get in heaven one day. The gospel is this. I have disobeyed God's commands. I deserve death, judgment, condemnation. But God, in his plan, sent Jesus. And I believed that he died for me. He paid the penalty for my sins. I am not good. He is good. That is the gospel. And I, I just only imagine that Simeon and Anna, Anna got that, that they still needed redemption. And God is the one who provides redemption for Israel. Second, we see this. Jesus is God's gift of redemption, not just for Israel, but for the world. Go back to verse 31. In verse 31, we see in this prophetic praise, we see Simeon, this is going back to encounter one with Simeon. He says, from my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is in the first, for the first time in the Gospel of Luke, an explicit reference of Jesus coming in mission, not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles. And so in the Bible, it usually breaks it down into two categories. You've got the Jews, or you've got Israel, and you've got Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. I'm not from Israel. I'm, we are recipients of this right here. And, and here's what he's saying. If you were to look at all of Scripture, the reason God chose Israel was to bring forth a Savior, Jesus, but the ultimate goal is that he would be a blessing to the world. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, the promises, just go look at these promises. The promises included the world. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. You go and read Isaiah, and Isaiah is talking about this consolation, this comfort for Israel. But he's directly quoting here Isaiah 49, 6, Isaiah 49, what we just read about, and he's talking about this comfort, this consolation is for the world. Jesus is God's gift of redemption for the world. Jesus makes this explicit near the end of his life. After he raises from the dead, he brings his disciples along and he says, Go therefore and make 
disciples of all the nations. What are the implications of this for us as a church? When you hear us talk about our three core values, gospel, community, mission, we must be a church that has mission at its core because that is who God is. He is a God that has a plan for the nations, every tribe, tongue, language, and people. And so that's why today, later on, we're going to collect what we call once a year, a great commission offering. 100% of that goes outside of our church and it goes to support people like the Smiths serving in South Asia, the Coppingers serving in Southeast Asia, and the 5,000 plus missionaries with the International Mission Board. That's why it goes to help church plants like us. We, we, were, we were started, when we talk about church planting, we really just mean starting a new church. We were started because of the financial blessings of others who said, I believe in the mission of God and I want to give. We've got Redeeming Grace, a church plan. We're going to do a luncheon for them right after the service. If you don't have lunch plans or you want to go hear about starting a new church in Arlington, hang around. We want you to go spend time with them and we would love to send you because that's what God is. He's sending us on mission. So, so we give, we go later on, after the sermon, we're, we're going to do a little mission highlight, and we're going to unveil a mission trip plan for our church for 2018. And we're going to challenge you, go ahead right now and block off some of your holiday or vacation time to say, you know what, I want to go live on mission in a, in a tangible way outside of, of Medford or greater Boston. This is also why Christmas is a great time to talk to people about Jesus. Everybody got an invite here. Christmas at the Chevalier. Man, a great, as we engage in mission, there are many in our city. The reason we are here starting this church is because there's a need for the gospel to go forth in our city. Jesus is God's gift of redemption for the world. But then finally, Jesus is a gift that demands a response. In verses 33 through 35, we have some really strong language here. In verse 33, it says, And his father and mother marveled. So you've got Simeon erupting in prophetic praise. Imagine being Mary and Joseph and just listening. Like it's starting, like the pieces of the puzzle are starting to connect. My son is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, like, he is the one, the consolation of Israel, the redemption, like they marveled. And then Simeon says this in verse 34, Simeon blessed them. I'm not sure like how much of a blessing this was. No, it was. He blessed them. And he said to Mary's mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's encounter ends on somewhat what seemed to be a negative note, right? I mean, let me first take this phrase, and a sword will pierce your own soul. He's telling the mother of Jesus. Actually, if you were to look at it, it's graphic imagery 
saying, Mary, your soul is going to be pierced by a very large, broad, two-edged sword. That doesn't sound fun. In other words, not physically, but emotionally, Jesus is going to bring her extreme pain. Now, it's not exactly clear what he's referring to, but my guess is it's a combination of two things. The first one is this. You remember in the Gospels when Jesus says, if you don't hate your own mother and father and brother and sister and wife, you cannot be my disciples. You remember that? And then he follows it up and says, and if you don't daily take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. In one sense, Jesus is the, is the son of Mary, but he's actually going to be forming a new family. And he says, here's who my brothers and sisters are. Who is it? It's those who do the will of God. So in one sense, he is going to bring pain and sorrow just because he creates his own family of disciples with his own priorities. But in another sense, it's going to be the pain and sorrow that he brings by engaging in a ministry with such dedication that is going to result in his tragic death. So you can picture Mary at the death of Christ, at his own death, and he looks to John and he says, John, you go love my mom. Jesus' life and ministry is going to pierce her soul. But second, it says this. He says, Jesus is going to be appointed for the fall and rising of men in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that thoughts and many hearts may be revealed. He is going to be the reason that some fall and that some rise. What, what's going on in the background here is that it's this imagery that we see in the Old Testament. At times it talks about Jesus being a stumbling stone. He is a rock that, that people stumble over. And, and then it also at times talks about him being the cornerstone where people build their life on, the, the corner of their life. That he's, and he says, some of you, are Jesus is going to be like a, a stumbling stone. He's going to cause you to fall. For others of you, you're going to see Jesus not as a stumbling stone, but as one you can put your hope and trust in and you will rise. But at the end of the day, it says Jesus reveals what's in our hearts. So listen to me here. None of us can remain neutral with Jesus. You rise or you fall. But Jesus reveals what is in your heart. We shouldn't be surprised by opposition to Jesus. I mean, we see a lot of it in New England, right? There's a lot of, we're in what, what many would say, one of the most unchurched, unreached places in the U.S. There's a lot of opposition to Jesus. Many will fall, not just in Israel, but among the nations. But here's what I want to focus on. Some will fall, but some will also rise. 
we shouldn't be surprised by receptivity to Jesus either. Because Jesus is in the business not of just revealing hearts, but changing hearts. And here is the gospel, and this is God's mission. We know that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people worshiping before God for all of eternity. This drives us to engage in mission. So here's the deal. Don't be surprised if people are opposed. But also, there ought to be an anticipation because we know some are going to rise. That what if this daily drives us to prayer, to worship, to fasting? God has told me some will rise. I believe it ought to do three things for us. Understanding the sovereignty of God, even in evangelism and his mission. One, it ought to do this. It ought to make us bold. We should never write someone off or be on the reach of God because God can cause them to rise. You guys heard stories last week of the baptism. And you see maybe at one point that person, we just said, I mean, there's no way. No, don't write them off. God can cause them to rise. You go read through the Bible and you see story after story of people that would say, yeah, there's no way. God calls them to rise. Saul turned Paul. Second, it ought to lead us to be patient. To give up on someone if we don't see immediate results is a failure of faith in God. Third, it ought to lead us to be prayerful. God alone can save. And so as I wrap up, I just want to, let's just, let's just reflect. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to give some silence just for you to reflect on a few questions here, and then I'll wrap us up, up in prayer. And here's the first one. Who in your relational network can you pray for this season that God might cause to rise? Who is it? Who is it that, and you know what? I've shared this with um, some of my friends recently. I've been, I've been feeling an urge to share the gospel. Say, hey, pray for me. I want to share the gospel. That time came yesterday. I'm watching basketball, and I made a new friend. And we get in a, about a 30-minute conversation. He lives in my neighborhood. I'm going to keep praying for him. There wasn't an immediate response or rising then. But so maybe it's even this. It's like, God, I don't know who. I, I don't know the person right now, but I know you want me to be ready to share. Would, would you just, would your spirit be upon me? Would you lead me the way you led Simeon? Would you give me any anticipation with prayer and worship to be ready to act when you provide? What about this question? What if the best gift you could give someone is the gift of redemption found in Jesus? Would you just start praying, hey, God, for those around me, how can I, how can I extend this gift to those in my network? What if this, what if our days as followers of Jesus were so marked by anticipation, the kind that Simeon and it displayed for God to move and work in around us, in us and around us? And let me ask you this. Where do you stand in relation to Jesus? What does he reveal in your heart? Have you stepped forward in faith and seen him as a cornerstone and, and caused you to rise? Or is he right now the reason that your trajectory is falling? The way we rise is not by the effort in ourselves. It's by looking with eyes of faith to say, God, I believe your word. Would you change me? Let's pray. Father, 
as Simeon and Anna responded in worship. God, we say, blessed be God. You have done great things in us, around us, among us, and through us. And God, we just pray even some more. God, would you help us to embrace Jesus as God's gift for the world? Would you work in us with such anticipation? God, I am ash- I'm put to shame when I read about Simeon and Anna because there's so many other things that distract me. But God, would you, would you work afresh by your spirit, a leading in us like you led Simeon, an anticipation in us that, that we, God, help us to be bold. Help us to be patient. God, help us not to give up on people. God, help us to be prayerful. God, we pray. We don't know who it is. We want to see people rise this Christmas season. Maybe it's somebody today. Maybe it's a neighbor or maybe it's a friend. God, would you use us? Would you work in us this Christmas season for your glory and fame? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.